Hi, folks. Keith Jones here. You're fixing to listen to Front Row Knowles on the podcast. But before we get started, we want to thank the Champions Club and specifically Seminole Boosters for sponsoring our podcast that allows us to bring the podcast to you commercial-free. You know, we are one tribe. We are unconquered. In the last uh, few years, Florida State has built a tradition of excellence. But right now, all of us that are Seminoles are facing a challenge. We've got 20 sports programs, all the coaches, student athletes that are involved. We've got some budget cuts that we're trying to uh, work through due to the pandemic. And right now, we need you. In order to provide all of our teams and student athletes with the best possible opportunity for success, we need your help. We need you to join Seminole Boosters. We need you to renew your membership. We need you to increase your contribution. We need you to consider making a gift. We don't talk heavy-handed like this much, but this is the time to be a little heavy-handed. Help us out. Help Florida State out. Help Florida State boosters out. And most of all, we want to continue to thank the boosters and specifically the Champions Club for sponsoring us and bringing Front Row Knowles to you. Stay tuned and listen. Thanks. Broadcasting live from the Prime Meridian Bank Studios in the capital city of Tallahassee, this is Front Row Knowles with Tom Block and Keith Jones. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by Cornerstone Tool and Fastener, online at ctf.nu. Now, here's Tom and Keith. Good day, everybody. Tom and KJ with you. This is Front Row Knowles. Keith, good to see you. Another week is here. It is, it is. No football this week, but uh, maybe that's best. Maybe this team could use a little time off, get over some uh, bruised um, bodies and maybe even a few bruised egos. Well, we're not going to steer completely away from football, but nor will we focus entirely on football during today's show. We're going to talk a little Seminole soccer later on with the leading scorer from this year's team, which, by the way, is unbeaten. What else is new for Coach K squad? How about that? But Bob Franti, our Osceola insider, will join us, and we'll dive deeper into football. Keith, I guess in processing, so my th- these are very big picture. They're not small, small in the weeds. First of all, and I think most are on this page, this is going to be an up-and-down season. So, you know, it's not going to be linear. Progress is not always going to be moving forward. What was concerning last week is that it was it felt like a move backwards or two steps back instead of a half step back. Right. That sort of thing. But as I as I thought about it further and you listen to well, what went wrong and you think about it, and some of it's personnel and at times some of it's a play call or some of it's scheme. At other times though, the the bigger issue is continues to be to me regressing or how you respond to adversity. And that is not new to this year. It's not even unique to just the guys on this year's team. I feel like that's been out there three, four, five, even six years now. When adversity hits, how do you respond? That's very big picture. But I, I do think that's where, where the problems start. And I would agree. And we've had the conversation um, dancing around it. But the issue, if you could pin it down, and I don't know how you would address it, but if you could pin it down, has to do with recruiting, and in addition to recruiting to physical capabilities, you know, run, jump, lift, how do you screen, what do you look for to screen relative to the intangibles? You know, we talk about the football intangibles, uh, the ability to see the full field, the ability to have an instinct for the ball and that type of thing. But how do you screen and what do you screen for relative to how an individual handles adversity? 
and how they handle discipline and how they handle, quote unquote, being coached hard. And I think what we're seeing society wise, as well as these upper echelon of athletes, is that uh, that particular trait is it needs to be or tried to be identified and you need to use that to your advantage in the recruiting system if you can identify it. Another way to look at it, it's not that adversity hits and everybody shrivels. I think adversity hits and you get into the hero ball and guys aren't taking their responsibility and now they're trying to do somebody else's job. And that's when, lo and right. behold, you've got a lane that's 10 for somebody run through. So Jimbo used to say it. I think it's generally true it doesn't come from a bad place. It, it comes from trying to help the team, but really you're hurting the team because now you're not doing your job specifically. And how do you solve that issue? Here's your gap, mind your gap. Or here's your guy, mind your guy. You can't be covering two guys at once because they're both going to be open, that sort of thing. Well, that goes to the second part. Uh, thank you for helping make my argument. And that's player development. And again, we talk about an offensive lineman that comes in at 300 pounds and he needs to lose, you know, 40 pounds of non-muscle and put 60 pounds of muscle back on. And you do that via the training table and the weight room and those types of things. Well, the same thing happens from a mental perspective. And uh, I would agree that you don't get to college. You don't become a, a college athlete on scholarship if you don't have a drive or a will. But what you're talking about is if you can identify some of those things during the recruiting process, and then once they get to Florida State, you can tailor how you coach them, what you, you show them, how you deal with them, so that they mature within that development, the mental aspect of the development. Um, very easy to say you need to do this, very hard to actually accomplish. And back to your point is everybody is – um, it feeds off of one another. It feeds off of each other. And as a result, you don't have a collective getting better at it. Everybody's staying where they are until somebody takes the lead, if that makes any sense. It does. It, it just continues to be a work in progress, all the things that we've said. I think the bye week, when do you ever say a bye week comes at a bad time? Although we did say it when it's in week two, I think everybody agrees that's not an ideal time. We even – Talked around that, though, this year, since they didn't have a real spring practice. Maybe that one was at a good time. This one, <laughs> this one is definitely at a good time. They've got guys nicked up, most notably the quarterback. And I think they just need to step back an extra two, three, four days of practice on fundamentals, specifically Tuesday and Wednesday. I mean, Sunday they used this week to correct mistakes from the loss at Louisville. But yesterday and today, it really is. They're not looking at Pitt. Their full practice is, all right, let's get this straight. Let's, let's go over this, that sort of thing. They need it. No question. And, and the only way you develop those types of traits is to be in them and to learn from them. And also, as we've talked about, you know, the best teacher is tape with the individuals you're trying to correct behavior on being on the tape. You can show them tape with somebody else. But that's not nearly as good of a learning tool as showing them tape of themselves when they're overdoing, underdoing, not doing what they need to be. I was thinking about this. Obviously, the defense is where people are most concerned right now. But I was thinking back, Keith. So I got here 
when Mickey was defensive coordinator. And how many defensive coordinators has the fan base been in love with, starting with Mickey? And I'll walk you through it in my mind, and you can disagree. People didn't like Mark Stoops because he was not aggressive, man-to-man, in-your-face, get-after-the-quarterback. He was more zone, keep it in front of you. And part of that is what the personnel was he inherited. But I don't think even, – even though the defense got significantly better in the four years Stoops was here, I don't know that FSU fans loved Stoops when he left and went to Kentucky. So they loved Mickey. Eh, kind of lukewarm on Stoops, that's my read. Loved Pruitt, obviously. Uh, and then since then, haven't been enamored with Charles Kelly, haven't been enamored with Harlan Barnett. Now that's where we are with Adam Fuller. And today it's results. You know, if you get the results, then people are going to love whatever's going on. So is that an oversimplification on it? Well, maybe a little bit, but let's remember that the folks were complaining about Mickey in the last three or four or five years of his tenure because what we came to understand is that our offense wasn't very good in the last four or five years of Mickey's reign. And as a result, his defense was put into worse situations than they had experienced and their numbers deteriorated along with the change of the game and that type of thing. So, uh, human nature, Tommy, is human nature. We're we're a hundred percent behind, you know, whoever's winning, and we're ready to fire whoever's losing. Conversely, I will say that this is the first time in recent memory that FSU fans are in love with the offensive line coach. <laughs> yeah, it's a strange twenty twenty. There's no question. Here's the other thing about about the defense, and then we'll get to Bob Frante, our Osceola Insider, will join us next segment. It's not a perfect description. I think really what I'm trying to point out here is that it's not as if the players of yesteryear, the the all-time greats, never made mistakes or their coaches always got 100% perfect. And the two examples I can think of, and this relates to our conversation about playing hero ball or doing more than what your responsibility is. When Derek Brooks was coming of age, and it might have even been the 93 season, he had a stretch where he scored a touchdown three or four weeks in a row, I think, to start 93. And sort of the behind-the-scenes talk at the time was, well, he wasn't really doing his job. He was freelancing an awful lot and getting a good result out of it. Now, Derek Brooks, a pro football Hall of Famer, obviously ironed some of that out. But what I'm saying is he wasn't perfect, and he didn't always do his assignment at that point. And then the the other one, and I told this story a lot, is LaMarcus Joyner in that game against Clemson in 2013, Keith. Well, he graded out horribly. Yeah, Jeremy Pruitt told me flat out the next week, and then Marcus Joyner was the national player of the week. He had a bunch of tackles. He had an interception. He more or less said he was in the wrong place half the time that game, but when the rest of the guys around you are so good, you can get away with the freelancing, and really, if you look at Joyner or Brooks, it probably worked out because they were not where they were supposed to be according to the scheme and the tape, but they wound up making a great play out of it. Now, that's not to say that anybody on this current team is Brooks or Joyner, and it's not to excuse that players need to handle their own responsibility. I'm just pointing out that it's not a new phenomenon necessarily. And the other aspect of it that made uh, Brooks and Joyner unique is that when they were out of position and had a chance to make the play, they made the play. Right. And, and we've got kids that have been in a position defensively to make plays, and they just haven't made them. And their in is another, you know, part of the Achilles heel of trying to develop your program is, is to identify those kids that have that playmaking ability and then put them in a position to make those plays. I mean, I, I think about work done all the time 
you know, he was basically recruited as a defensive back. Uh, it was identified that he probably had some real good skills with the ball in his hand, and they moved him to running back, and as they say, the rest was history. Um, so, you know, it's easy to look backwards with that 2020 vision, but certainly all these things we've talked about, maybe a better job of screening during the recruiting process or at least trying to identify, putting together things during the development process that are not just physically, they're also mentally, and I know they're being addressed, and then identifying who the playmakers are and who aren't, you know, is all part of building the program. Osceola Insider Bob Franti will join us next segment. He's been quietly listening to this. He may agree wholeheartedly or disagree vehemently, but either way, we'll let him opine when we continue on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, we open up the Earl Bacon Agency hotline, the Earl Bacon Agency ensuring your future together. Bob has literally been a fly on the wall in this Zoom meeting. But uh, as Keith and I just continue to babble. So, uh, Bob, you didn't even raise your hand either physically or via Zoom to weigh in, but the floor is now yours if you'd like to, uh, as I said before the break, agree or disagree with that whole line of thought we just shared. Well, you, you guys have all the answers. I, I'm not sure I, I have much more to, to offer here. What, um, you know, jumping in, I think, late on your conversation, what, what solutions have you found for, for the staff and, and how much are you all getting paid for these solutions? Uh, like most issues and episodes of this show, we just throw stuff at the wall. And if it happens to stick, it's not because we were brilliant. It just happened to stick. So I don't know that we've offered any solutions. We are good at identifying problems, as are most fans, which is short for fanatics. Uh, they gave me $5 to leave and go away. Here, take this. Go buy lunch. See ya. <laughs> no, I mean, the gist of the conversation, I think, Bob, and I don't know, uh, to go back to where we started the show, we all know this season's going to be up and down, including the rest of the way, even though we can look at the schedule and say, really feels like four of those five games are winnable. doesn't mean FSU is going to win four of the five. What, what surprised me most about Louisville is that it got as lopsided as it did. That was clearly a game Louisville could have won. I mean, honestly, I think if you replay that game and you get a stop on the first Louisville possession and FSU goes in and scores and gets it to 14-0, it could have gone the other way. I mean, I think Louisville might have been that fragile. So I just didn't expect it to be that much of a, a step in the wrong direction. Or maybe it's just it wasn't a step forward. I, I don't know what your take is on that. Yeah, I think whenever you're not competitive, that's the thing that I think bugs fans so much is just – the expectations were ramped up after that North Carolina win. I think everybody walked out of that stadium thinking, man, Florida State could win any game left on the schedule just because it, it showed the full potential of the team. But at the same time, that UNC game also showed all of the blemishes still that, that the team has on offense and defense, that inconsistency. 
you know, not scoring a point for an entire half in the second half against Carolina. And when you don't have that emotion, maybe, maybe it's when you're on the road and there's just not a lot of emotion. There's no band when you're playing well, those moments aren't magnified enough because Louisville's at home and when they're able to roll, they're able to roll and their fans are going crazy. It just didn't seem like Florida state after those first few drives, it just, just lost all momentum and energy. I think there was still a lot of, a lot of fight and effort, not questioning that so much, but it just, just didn't seem like they had it that day. It was just lost. I disagree with that. Part of the conversation this week is focused on one of the topics I've heard a lot of, defensive scheme. And, Keith, you, you weigh in went on this. I, I think when we get into these conversations, if you don't sit with the coaches and understand in advance what they were planning to do, where players didn't execute, where the opponent changed what their tendency was, if you don't have that full knowledge, it becomes – asking it's akin to on the offensive side of the ball when really what you're calling for like call the touchdown play I don't care if it's a run or a pass or a draw or a fade I want the touchdown play and so when we get into so defensively the question has been why is Brownlee covering Tutu Atwell well it's easy to say Asante Samuel should be on Tutu Atwell and follow him everywhere all game but how many other problems might that create if now you're asking Jarvis Brownlee to cover on the outside and do things that he hasn't done, or you're asking a safety to move up. I just think it's easy in a vacuum to make a statement like that. But when you look at the, the collective answer is you need better personnel probably, but you have to look at things holistically before you just throw those out there. I mean, that's kind of my two cents on it. So Keith. Well, the other, the other part of it, Tom is, you know, the age old thing, the more complicated fill in the blank, something is, then if you get it wrong, the farther away from where you need to be you are. In other words, it makes that standard deviation larger. So now we've entered this era of college football where everything's specialized. And you look at a, a Louisville offense and you expect them to do this, this, and this. So you prepare all week for this, this, and this. And then they do a fourth thing or a fifth thing that maybe you hadn't prepared for or you hadn't seen before. And because you're so specialized to what they're specialized to, it ends up being a guessing game and you outguess each other. And that's what you see happen when you have these busted plays. I mean, very rarely is it do you see a player fall down and therefore somebody's wide open. Uh, it's even less you know, likely that a player is not where they need to be, but they're a step behind. That gets back to the players. But when somebody's running wide open, that's because somebody made a mistake. Either they didn't read it correctly or they hadn't seen it before. And back to my original point, I'm not necessarily articulating it very well, but the more complicated you get, the more personnel groups, the more specialized, then if you guess wrong or prepare wrong, then the larger the, – the, the error is magnified. And that's what happens in today's game. And, unfortunately, it's happened quite a bit to Florida State's defense. And the offenses, I think, spread you out so much, especially Louisville does a wonderful job of that with their speed, too. You know, it was Florida speed with a guy like Tutu Atwell, Javian Hawkins. Um, There's a lot of over-pursuit problems like that play with Javian Hawkins. I think if you freeze frame it, you know, from the end zone view, there's about eight Florida State hats – surrounding Hawkins and you're like this is going to be a negative play 
and all of a sudden he just wiggles out of it and, and he's gone. So combination of that to me, I think there were some bad pursuit angles, maybe by safeties. I'd be curious, you know, KJ's thoughts on that as far as, you know, did Florida State guys think that they had the speed and the pursuit angle to catch a Louisville guy to make sure that, you know, a, a long run, a 50-plus yard run was eliminated and held to 15 or 20. But it just didn't seem like, you know, Florida State's speed matched up. Um, the other big question to me, again, is is the usage of Amari Gaynor as one of your, your top guys in that front six or front seven, depending on when you go nickel or not. Um, Amari Gaynor played, we asked Coach Norvell about this today, played 48 snaps. I'd like to see him out there a lot more than that. I think he's got to be out there as many snaps as humanly possible, even against these these tempo, fast-paced offenses. you got to have your best 11 out there just to to slow down Louisville, to look, slow down any team that's just running and operating as fast as they are. Bob, the part of the answer to pursuit angles, particularly with your younger kids that are used to high school, so, you know, your freshmen, your sophomores that aren't that far into their FSU or collegiate career, if you will, is scrimmaging. I mean, you, 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 you can't replicate that on, on, a, on a film or on, on a whiteboard. You can only replicate that by doing it, and therefore you've missed spring. You've been less hitting during fall camp because of all the issues associated with it. Um, you know, that's, that's an on-the-field repetition thing. And the last part of it is bringing people down. Well, if you thud every day in practice and you don't bring them down to the ground, some backs and receivers are going to run out of some arm tackles. How you balance that, I mean, I, I understand it's a difficult – and there's tension between those two. But my experience, maybe I'm wrong, is the only way to work on those angles and work on tackling is to work on those ankles and work on tackling. Bob, I'm looking at your article online on the Osceola about the statistical breakdown for Florida State right now. And on the defense, Florida State's last in the ACC right now. But as you put it, stunningly one spot better than Florida. That's well done. (laughs) Know your audience. (laughs) it, It illustrates, though, that everybody, whether you're successful or not, is struggling to stop people in 2020. And it's a combination of, of everything we've maybe covered for the past few months. You're not, not having spring, not having scrimmages, not having a chance to wrap up and take people down, uh, tackling. I, everybody's having trouble looking at scores that are really high across college football. It, it's been maybe impressive and fun for some people who really just want to see maybe an explosive big 12 style of ball, but it's definitely not fun if you're looking for, you know, any type of defense, any any type of significant stops. It just seems like, like you know, again, Florida State's problems are magnified, but it is something that is a, an incredible trend across the sport. I do think, going back to your comment about Amari needs to be on the field more, I think this extra week will allow the coaches to sit back and assess. They've played a lot of players and say, okay, maybe we don't play this many, but here's the best ones. Not that you're going to keep the same 11 on the field for everything, but you'll make it more of a point to say, is it Amari? Does Marvin need more snaps up front instead of the normal rotation? Whatever it is, maybe you get some guys healthy at safety. We've talked about this regarding 
Woody being out there. I mean, the the three deep at the safety position at the start of the year, four of them are, are not available. I mean, I guess Travis Jay is available, but he's been hurt. Uh, Hamza hasn't played at all. Cyrus Fagan quit the team. One of them wasn't available last week. You haven't had a lot of options there, but I think they can use this time to, to refocus a little bit, and, and we'll see if that makes some changes. And, Tommy, you make a point that I think you if you would let you talk a little more. This type of evaluation would normally be done in the spring. You're now having to do it in games, and that's why they're playing so many people. And I, maybe now with the bye week is the time to – kind of look at it like you would look the close of spring practice. Okay. Now we go into fall camp. Here's who we can count on in these ways. We're now at that, but it took six games to, to get there, so to speak. And to simplify the, the, the big play and the correlation with the safety, you know, those are the guys who are going to erase and minimize those big plays. You know, I mean, you can't expect Hampson to be all over the field, but he prevents a 60 or 70 yard play and makes it a 15 or 20 at the most so that you can live another series of, of first downs and, and try to try to make a stop somewhere on the field. We're just, you know, clearly not seeing nearly enough stops. And I, I think they're, they're bending all the way into the red zone and maybe hoping to get a stop, hoping to get a, a field goal instead of a touchdown, give up that it's, it's just not, not happening right now. And, Yes, this we all hope that after this bye week, Travis Jay gets a little healthier. Maybe we see Hamsa. It's still a question mark. But if you have those two guys back there, I think you do see an improved defense. They're not going to solve all the problems. There's, there's no way they can. But they're certainly going to be a huge help if you get them back. What I saw last week reminded me of the 2018 season to some degree, which was it just – it snowballed when one side of the ball wasn't helping the other. And so the offensive struggled and it felt like the defense was trying to do too much and it just went the wrong direction. So that said, I, I like this offense. I like what Travis brings to it. Even a less than 100% Jordan Travis, if you look at last week, they they were, they should have scored 30, 35 points in that game. I mean, they got stopped at the one, they had dropped passes that killed drives and that's even without the threat of Jordan running. So Yes, I know he's not a pocket passer. I still think that he's the best option there in terms of moving the ball successfully. I'm curious your thoughts on how you integrate Purdy going forward or Blackman if he's healthy again or how you handle that. Yeah, I think we've seen a good identity from this team. It is to run the ball. It is to use the offensive line's strength in run blocking and then also use Jordan Travis's legs to roll him out. He's – probably not going to be a pocket passer, a, a true guy at any point in, in the near term, whether it's this year or down the road. But he is very successful as far as on the move, eluding pressure and throwing. I, I, I like this offense when things are working well, when players are playing well around the quarterback. When you have drops, and, and it seemed like there were so many drops, I, I at one point lost count uh, how many it was it was just so glaringly um, limiting the offense. You can't build a drive. You can't sustain a drive. You're not flipping the field in any manner. You're you're just punting it away. It it doesn't help you. It doesn't help you play complementary football to bail out the defense. Yeah, I mean, Florida State could have put up how many more touchdowns or field goals? There's a lot of points being left out there on the field. And we can point all kinds of reasons why. Yes, Tamari and Terry's out. Yes, Ron Dugans did not travel and wasn't there. But at some point you have to say, look, 
the complementary pieces, the receivers, those guys have to become go-to options. And they just weren't ready to take on that role at Louisville. Why? Who knows? But, but guys like Keyshawn Helton, we talked to him on Tuesday, he clearly was still wearing that. He was still very, it was still very emotional and raw for him. And he's taking extra practice time to make sure that he's, he's catching passes. He's more comfortable. We just have to see that moving forward, these guys are, whether Terry comes back or not, they're going to be guys you can count on. They're going to be dependable because they have to be. Guys, uh, how about if we be topical as we finish up this segment? We have a new uh, World Series champ in the Dodgers. And uh, the analogy I'm making, see if you agree, when you're playing baseball and you got runners in scoring position with two outs and you strike out without swinging, you strike out looking, that's what a drop pass is for an offense. It just – it, everybody just – exhales and gets disappointed and defeated because at least take a hack. You know, you got two strikes on you. You got people in scoring position. Don't strike out looking. Don't drop the football. Yeah, it almost seems like always to me a drop is a mental lack of focus for me. You know, yes, a guy could be injured, but hey, in the end, if you're out there and you can catch the passes, the coaches know who's practicing well and who's catching why aren't they doing it in the games and it's it's usually because you're thinking about well I'm going to turn or I'm going to go upfield or I'm going to do this where's the defensive back where's the sideline what am I going to do after I catch it well first of all catch it and then do the rest of what you want to do um, yeah. nobody nobody likes doing the easy thing which is catching it they want to think about the fun highlight film that I'm going to create after the fact that to me goes back to the hero ball we talked about early on. It's you're down by three touchdowns. Well, you can only score one touchdown on a play. So you can't score 21 points in one play. Just make the catch. And if it's not a touchdown, line up again and, and get the next play. You know, it's that kind of thing. And I don't know how you get past it because we've been at this stage for a couple of years. And I think that's the fan frustration. To be fair to Norvell and company, this is their first six games of this. They, you know, what happened the last couple of years and the end of the Jimbo era, not on them. So they're working through it, uh, and, and we'll just see. But I am optimistic this bye week. I mean, I know it's at a good time. Hopefully we'll start to see the fruits of uh, some of the frustration uh, turn the other way in coming weeks. Yeah, I think so. I think the schedule gets a little more favorable, too. I mean, Pitt's been really up and down, just scored three points against Notre Dame. They've had some quarterback problems with injuries and whatnot. Um, and you've got you know Virginia, NC State, Clemson, Duke, um, yeah, I mean, Clemson looks impossible, of course, but the rest of those games should at least be competitive. And you want to see Florida State home road, get out there, get after it, try to try to get some of those wins. If not, learn something through a loss. But this is the progress of a young team. And Florida State has to win just enough games in the end to build that confidence. And then the bowl season will be here and Florida State will have a chance to go to a bowl those practices will become a spring, a spring that Florida State didn't have back in March and April. That's the time to further develop and build for 21. Nobody really wants to hear that, but this is the, the, building, the, the building blocks, the, the, the growing pains of a first-year program, and you're going to have to see it and go through it. I get the fan frustration. We all hear it. We understand it, but it's just the reality of, of where the program is right now. 
Thanks for being the realist, Bob, and bringing us all down. That's what I'm here for. Bob Ferrante from the Osceola. Appreciate it as always. We'll catch up next week. Take care. We'll talk a little seminal soccer. That's right after this on Front Row Knowles. Front Row Knowles is brought to you by the Osceola, dedicated to FSU sports and fan experiences. Sign up for a free trial at theosceola.com or call 833-FSU-NEWS. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom Blatt, Keith Jones with you. We'll keep that Earl Bacon Agency hotline open, and we say hello to Leilani Nesbeth from the Florida State soccer team. All she is is the leading scorer on the team right now. How are you? I'm doing good, thanks. How are you? I'm doing great. Congratulations on your your individual start, the team start, six and zero right now. And I know it's a you know it's not the norm for what a fall season would look like, but you got six games in the books, and you've got two more big ones, top five showdowns, I guess uh, this weekend. So a chance if things go right to finish out the fall season eight and zero. Yep. About what you like about your team and the, and the challenges that await this weekend. Us, uh, sorry. Can you repeat that again? Sorry. Yeah, just just what you've been impressed with that, that you like about your Florida State team in terms of what you do well. I know you guys score uh, an awful lot, and then what the what the keys are going to be to success this weekend in your matchups. Um, I think definitely everyone's um, our idea about how the fall season was going to go was kind of um, was kind of odd at the start. We didn't know how it was going to look with the uh, with the different games that we were going to have. Obviously, a lot of things were restricted. Um, but I feel like we've been able to adapt to what's been going on really well. And I feel like that's, um, definitely what's been helping our success a lot. We've, um, had a lot of time to, you know, work on different things, um, and, you know, develop our individual game as well as, you know, try and, you know, work on different areas of the, of the team that we needed to work on. Um, and I feel like we've implemented what we've learned into the games and, um, we've been pretty successful so far. In Tallahassee, we don't have a lot of the game that you're also good at, which is cricket. (laughs) And I'm just curious what, if any, um, takeaways from cricket that you've been able to use on the soccer field, if any. Um, Yeah, cricket and soccer is obviously two very, very different sports. Um, Soccer, you have a 90-minute game. With cricket, you don't know how long the game's going to be. Hours and hours um, in the hot sun. And I think that's one thing. I've definitely learned a lot of patience. Um, if, you've, if you've watched some cricket, you obviously know that uh, the time that you're catching the ball or fielding or batting, um, it's, it's not a, like a long period of time. So you definitely have to be patient and different things like that. And definitely the fundamentals of the game is, is vital. And I feel like um, that's something that's very important with soccer as well. Well, so let's fill in the blanks for our listeners' sake because cricket is not something that's typically offered at a public school curriculum here in Leon County or Florida, what have you. So you were, if, I, if, if I'm correct on this, born in Bermuda and grew up in England. Is that right? Well, I was born in uh, South Carolina in okay. in the U.S., but I moved to Bermuda when I was, like, super, super young. And I was raised in Bermuda ever since I was, like, uh, a teenager. So is that where the cricket uh, – is that the roots of cricket? Yeah, for sure. When you grow up, you're either playing one or the other, or you're playing both. That's usually what you end up doing. 
So how do you end up at Florida State with that as uh, your background? Um, so I knew that I wanted to definitely come over, um, whether that was England first or go over to America first and then go over to England. Um, but my grandmother suggested it was possibly best for me at the time. I was young. I was only 13 to get some experience um, in another country before I decided to make my move to America. Um, so I was over in England for a little bit um, where I went to a boarding school out there where I was playing, I was playing mostly cricket at the time. Then I sort of shifted over um, to focus on soccer a little bit more. And then um, at the time I was playing with a, with a club out there and the intention was to try and see if I could possibly go to um, play first team at some point. Um, but then I decided I um it was probably best if I come over to um, America where I was able to do the college and the soccer at one place rather than over in England where I would have to be doing the soccer and the school separately. So it just seemed like the right fit. Um, and I was looking at, I was playing with um, my national team at the time and was just, was just looking at different schools um, and potential options. My dad lives in Florida. So uh, being able to be offered by Florida State seemed like obviously like the perfect fit. I was able to come and do um, a camp over here in the summer and different things like that, meet the coaches, meet some of the t um, players who were playing here at the time. Um, and yeah, just sort of went from there. Our listeners will probably, probably also be interested to know, Ronnie, you, you are quite an athlete. You played cricket, as we talked about, basketball. You've run some track. Um, I guess we're going to have to uh, do a Bo Jackson commercial for you when you end your career and, and uh, have you do all these various things in support of something. Where did that athleticism come from and, and what was your focus regarding that as you were growing up? Um, I'm not sure. Um, there's not many people in my family who are um, athletic. My brothers and sisters, they're more into uh, – the academic side of things. My sister's a big, um, she's into different drama and dance and stuff like that. Um, my parents weren't really big on sports either. So I'm not really sure. I think it was definitely um, growing up. It was always the opportunity to play with um, mostly boys who were playing soccer or playing cricket who were running or whatever it was. It wasn't many girls who were doing that at the time in, um, in my neighborhood. Um, and I wasn't big on like the, the different things that girls were doing at um, at uh, at a young age, like the whole uh, makeup and dancing and different things like that. Uh, so I sort of shifted towards the soccer and the sports side of side of everything. Um, and yeah, and then it just sort of gravitated as I got older. It's kind of sort of just stuck, and I've been doing that ever since. Well, let's bring it back to Florida State. For those just tuning in, we're talking with the leading scorer on the soccer team for FSU. Leilani Nesbeth, who has, I think, four goals this year. You've got Duke and Clemson this weekend. Uh, do, do we, so that, there, there is an ACC tournament uh, this fall, but in terms of national championships, I mean, it's all – do we have a, a final word? I mean, has the spring season been determined, or is that still potentially in flux? you know what that looks like at this point? Um, yeah, I think they, they definitely said – hello? Yep, you're still there. I think they've definitely said that um, there's going to be a national championship. Obviously, we've already had our conference games and things like that. So the, the teams who didn't play this fall will probably do their season in spring. And then we'll just wait until the whole national championship, like the whole, like the teams are selected and different things like that and wait for that to be established. Has that been, you, you referenced this a little bit earlier, but just kind of the atypical nature of 2020 with COVID. 
how difficult has that been? I mean, you were in a waiting game for a while. You're not playing the full fall schedule. Or is it uh, a little bit more back to a semblance of normalcy right now because you are playing games and so it's okay at this point? Um, I mean, I think it's definitely a lot of things that um, that were different that we've had to uh, get used to, like the regular COVID testings, the screenings, the different restrictions on who's able to come to games, how many people are able to come to games, the different things like that. Um, but I think we're all just happy to be able to get something, to get to get something in no matter how big or how small um, that is or how much games we have in the season. I feel like we're um, we're definitely taking advantage of what we have and what, um, what's what been given to us and just going into the season trying to finish off strong, uh, play well in the ACC tournament, and hopefully – be able to come out successful. Well, we wish you the best of luck. Tell Coach K that we said hello, and uh, good luck this weekend at the ACC tournament and into the spring. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so you. much for joining us. That is Elizabeth from the Florida State soccer team. We'll take a break, come back with more Front Row Knowles right after this. I felt so good Like anything was possible Front Row Knowles on 97.9 ESPN Radio is presented by Hobson Chevrolet of Cairo, Georgia. Get your best deal the Hobson way. Now, back to Tom and Keith. Back on Front Row Knowles, Tom and KJ with you. Needed to give a little love to the soccer program, which, you know, so much of the talk this year has been COVID related and will you play and is there going to be a football game this week and what's the attendance going to be and all this stuff that we have not paid attention as much as we normally do on this show to some of the other programs at FSU and it's like clockwork it's like tax day it comes every year well FSU being really good in soccer that happens every year too and they're number two in the country right now I think they've got the top scoring offense out there so we thought we'd give you a little flavor that they play twice this weekend Duke on Thursday evening Clemson on Sunday and then they'll have to take the break and come back for the, uh, the spring. That, you know, speaking of that, Keith, there was a stat that came out this week from uh, FSU Sports Information. Uh, let me dig it up. I'm not sure who actually generated it. But the premise was over the last defined period of time, I think it was last decade, FSU Sports has the second highest winning percentage, period. I didn't see who was first, but if you combine all sports and look at it, that's, that's doing something. Well, Florida State has done a remarkable job with what we used to call the non-revenue or the Olympic sports. Coach Kikorian is a perfect example. Uh, he's starting his second decade at Florida State and has put together a program that's based on we're going to recruit the best players in the United States, but we're going to recruit some really good players from across the country, across the world, rather. And I think, candidly, the – soccer team might have been better quote unquote equipped to handle the issues associated with, um, you know, stay at home and quarantining and that type of thing. Cause a large number of their roster is quote unquote away from home when they're in the United States. And as a result, this is not as big a change for them as it might be for kids that grew up in Florida or somewhere in the Southeast and are in Tallahassee. And, and that and the fact that, that, that Coach K is just a remarkable coach uh, and has done a phenomenal job. So that's great news in terms of uh, the program and, and um, 
that type of thing. Obviously, the football purist will say, you know, that's really great, but we're not good on the football field, so nothing else matters. But the reality is it does very much matter and is to be applauded and uh, congratulated. And some more numbers behind it. 723 overall winning percentage, second best of any athletic department since 2015. Research compiled by James Madison's athletic department. So there's the numbers. And, yeah, con- continued success for Florida State. So uh, as long as we're, we're talking things other than football, I think the basketball schedule is going to come out next week. What we're going to find out is that Florida State's going to have – everybody's going to have a limited schedule because they reduced the number of non-conference games. FSU is pretty much, I think, going to play its whole non-conference slate at home. And then we'll see where the conference chips fall. And basketball season, of course, can't start until right around Thanksgiving. Attendance, I think FSU is waiting for the ACC to determine its COVID protocol, but they're expecting it'll be similar to football, which will be 25% allowed in person. Some, some limited form of in-person, correct, yeah. Yeah, so and in terms of the non-conference, I think uh, UCF is going to come to Tallahassee. That's who FSU was supposed to play in the Orange Bowl Classic. I think Florida is in town. I think the ACC Big Ten Challenge will be in Tallahassee. So there's not that many more non-conference once you get past that because you're playing 20 conference games now. So Well, and some of that is a, is a direct testament to the success that Florida State has had at home over the last two or three seasons. Coach Ham and his staff, just a phenomenal uh, home winning streak and record. Uh, it's a shame we talked about this uh, on a show a week or two ago that you don't get the, the uh, tournaments or some of the other non-conference type scheduling where staff has to really work extra hard to put a, pro, uh, put a, a game plan together. The kids have to pay you know, greater attention because you don't play ABC team regularly. You kind of get into a little bit of a lull relative to conference games because you know your opponent at least better than you know your non-conference opponents. But um, it is what it is, and uh, adaptability and, and flexibility, the two buzzwords of 2020, uh, will once again come into play. Hey, we mentioned uh, the World Series, which finished up uh, Tuesday evening. You know, Mike Jr., uh, Meet and gang are going to have some games, at least a couple of games that will be broadcast, I believe, the end of next week. Is that correct? Yeah, the fall ball that's going to get uh, some TV time, which is good. We had Mike Jr. back on early in, in COVID, and uh, he obviously was frustrated. as we Well, not, not frustrated with the situation at that point, uh, no more than anybody else, but uh, happy to be back and, and playing some fall ball. And, yeah, the Garnet Gold Series is going to be streamed uh, November 4th and 5th, uh, the games uh, at Hauser Stadium, both on ACC Network Extra. Both start at uh, 3 o'clock, and it'll be Lulu and uh, – Chip Baker on the call for that. So that's good. I think, you know, and I'm not in the weeds on baseball recruiting, but but Mike Jr. and his staff have done a good job on that. And it, it I, I think actually, had they played the season out in the spring, we might have been surprised about what they achieved. So I'm looking forward to, to meet getting his first true year this year. Agreed. Uh, you know, I think his ability to take the things that uh, 11 had put for, put in place from a foundational standpoint. And then, you know, I, I would actually tell you, he really didn't tweak things. He changed a number of things because he'd been around long enough to see and to know, you know, that how he wanted to do it differently. And uh, I agree with you. I think had last year, um, if you'd been able to play the full complements of games, get into the, the regionals and, and uh, eventually uh, to Omaha, if they got that far, you would have been well pleased with the product that was uh, on the on the field. 
One other note, the ACC cross-country team or cross-country championships are uh, later this week, so good luck to the men and women there. Florida State pretty good uh, in those sports this year as well, as per usual. All right, let's go back to, to football, Keith. We didn't really touch on this earlier. It's the kind of thing that – I mean, we can pay as much or as little attention to it as we want, but I do believe that there's something to it, and that is simply when you take a coaching staff and the coaches – while they know each other in passing or some may have been on staffs together, if they haven't worked together entirely entirely as a staff, there's a learning curve there too. And this coaching staff didn't get the spring. And so I think this bye week is probably more important maybe than it might be for a staff that's been together for four years and knows that when A happens, this coach is going to want to do B. You have to work through some of that. Well, you and I have talked privately, individually, if you will, that, you know, if you look at, you know, the two programs that we're most familiar with, um, obviously, you know, the Ohio States and uh, the world haven't played uh, much football this season. But if you look at Alabama and you look at Clemson and you say, you know, what makes them different aside from their winning percentages? You know, the first thing that jumps out at to you is the longevity of their head coach. You know, Dabo and, and, and has been at Clemson for – is this his 11th year maybe? Certainly plus or minus a decade. We all know about the Saban way and what Nick does relative to his program. Yeah, the assistants come and go, but, you know, you don't have six or eight of, of the ten leaving every year. It's two or three. So yes, sometimes in the coordinator position. But there's a stability there. Um, those of us that have been around for a while know Coach Bowden being here for 34 years. Um, you know, there's, there's that commonality. The other thing is, is you get complete buy-in. Well, you can't get complete buy-in from kids, from seniors that are supposed to be your leaders that don't know what the program is because the head coach has changed. So you've got upperclassmen at Florida State that don't know Norvell and don't know what he wants. Now, he can tell them, but they haven't experienced it. Well, once you've been a freshman and then a sophomore and then a junior and then a senior – and you've been under Saban or you've been under Sweeney, you know what the culture is. And therefore, you can start mentoring the young kids. You know, I, I have people all the time tell me that, that, that this staff or that staff or this coach or that coach doesn't do a good job of getting the team, you know, motivated and fired up. Well, that's not the coach's job. The coach's job is to put the game plan together and to steer the direction of practice and to put players in the right position, knowing the right things to do. The emotional enthusiasm part of the game comes from the players, particularly your upperclassmen. And, and until you have a program where somebody's been in it for two or three or four or five years, and they can preach that to the youngsters that were coming in, you've got what we've got right now. You got, 85 players that are six games into a regime with a staff that's only six games into a regime, and they're still learning each other. That was a quicker conclusion than I expected, Keith, giving the long soliloquy you just delivered. I thought you were going to ramp down, but you just cold stopped on me. It's not a soliloquy because I can't spell it. It was a rant. <laughs> 
Well, you're of the rant age, so I've come to expect it on a, on a basis here. I'll choose not to judge you by that. You judge me by everything else, so it would be no different. We've got just a few minutes left, Keith. So I do think I, – I was asked this week about wins and losses on a, the rest of the way on a radio show over in Jacksonville that I do, and, and I, I gave a number, but and then I hung up and thought I really shouldn't have done that. Well, we said this at the beginning of the year. To, to me, this isn't about wins and losses. It's about improvement. And, and showing that you're moving in the right direction. So more than what the final five games bring in terms of the final score, I really want to see steps forward. And that, I think that's going back to where we started the show. That was what was disappointing about last week. Not so much whether it was a W or an L, but it felt like you moved forward against Notre Dame. You moved forward against North Carolina. You started the Louisville game, looked like you were headed the right direction for one drive, and then it just dropped off. So, you know, how do we, how do we move that ball forward against Pitt next week? Well, that becomes, that becomes the focus, and I think Coach Norvell and the staff continue to do a great job, at least from what we hear publicly, uh, about promoting that and about stressing that. Uh, you do hear the kids, when they're interviewed and when they're given the opportunity to talk, they parrot the same message. But the reality is that that buzzword that we've used, the, the optics, you can say one thing or the other, You've got to perform it, and people have got to be able to see it uh, in order for them to believe it. And you're right. Uh, aside from the first drive uh, of the Louisville game, it appeared from an optics standpoint that things had regressed or gone backwards. Uh, I think some of us would have been happy if they'd have gone sideways, you know, but we felt like we went backwards. And you're not making progress forward when you're going sideways, but it's something different. But that didn't happen. And I think the bye week will help with that. I think uh, being able to detach a little bit, because if, if it is true, and, and I, I tend to believe it is, that some or maybe most of the kids are pressing, then the ability to detach and not have a game on a Saturday and maybe watch other teams play, which you don't usually get the opportunity to do in season, and you know, to whatever degree you can quote-unquote relax – uh, that will help, as well as, as you've mentioned and talked about uh, appropriately, you know, the fundamental aspect of, of practices where you are not trying to uh, do anything other than get better fundamentally. You're not installing a game plan, in other words. That'll help. Uh, we'll see. And, of course, it all will matter in terms of how they perform against Pittsburgh. But I agree with you. Back to your original point, I don't know what the one-loss record will be. Uh, I, I know it's important, but I will tell you that 2020 is a year in which, uh, you know, you probably don't need to pay a lot of attention to the one-loss record, at least if you're a Florida State fan. So next up is Pitt, and then uh, the, the rest of the season will unfold. How would you handle the quarterbacks the rest of the way, Keith? I would start um, Travis, no question. I would get Purdy some reps, uh, even if it's uh, he's going to play the third and the fifth series of a game, you know, as long as the game's progressing as it should. Um, and, and that's what I do. I think, I think we've seen that Chuba and, and, and Travis are the most alike. And if you bring in either of the other quarterbacks, they do things differently, which means now you've got one guy doing things differently that the other 10 have to do something differently that they're not used to. Whereas with those two, their style is similar and you don't ask the others to change that dramatically. Um, 
but I'm not the head coach and I'm not the quarterback coach. I'm not, my name's not Kenny or Mike. Uh, so I, I don't have the insight and the uh, luxury of having seen them perform in practice to be able to tell whether my, my opinion is, is meritable or meritless. Well, I can answer that question. I want to do so right at this moment. Have you ever seen a quarterback dribble the ball to himself? As I talked about on our first look show, I can't dribble a basketball, much less dribble a football. But no. And again, you know, we talked in our first segment about intangibles. Well, that, that's just being an athlete. I mean, Travis is just able to, to do things. He's able to see things. He's able to perceive things. He's able to instinctively do things in terms of making people miss and having you know, those, those eyes in the back of his helmet, so to speak, and knowing when to tuck the ball and when to move up in the pocket. He's not perfect, but little things like that are just illustrative of athleticism. And, you know, sometimes your best athletes don't make your best football players, but if you can have a football player that does have some athletic ability, he can make plays like that, and it's certainly to his advantage. Keith, I think we have done all the damage we can do for this week. Well, you know, um, last I heard, the FCC said that we're only allowed a maximum of two hours a week, and we can only do the two hours a week uh, 10 or 12 uh, weeks out of the year. Uh, so we're, we're under governmental regulation in terms of the damage we can inflict. Is that in the fine print, or do we have that as a disclaimer on the front end of the show? Perhaps we should. He's Keith, I'm Tom. We'll talk again next week on Fermo Knowles. Need no thoughts control.